Yeah, that's... <laughs> Fast eights next year. Fast nine. Fast. Oh, that's You're right. Losing track. Oh, Logan. I know. Keep up. I know. And You're I'm not fast enough. I'm not fast enough. Nor furious. Enough. I'm. It's the fate of the furious. Is I lose track of <laughs> the amount of Fast and Furious films. Because that's now the tenth Fast and Furious film because of Hobbs and Shaw. But yeah. uh. Yeah, you got Dune get pushed back, which, let's be honest, I think we all just said to ourselves, of course that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, there's no way it was going up against Wonder Woman 84. Like, that just felt like a death sentence for that film. But it's... (sighs) Well, and I'd hate for Dune to go the way of Tenet, where, you know, Tenet, pretty good movie, I enjoyed it, but, like, is now kind of seems to be... Uh, causing some negative ripple effects in the theater industry. Yeah. Theaters are probably going to close down, or they might close down again. Because um, yeah, Regal, isn't a, is it Regal already officially closed, or are they I, closing in the upcoming weeks? Like, is pro- it like... I think it's pretty soon. But AMC is also, there's murmurs that they're going to go back closed, and they're really struggling. Um, but yeah, like, I, I would hate for Dune to be, you know, strike two for Denis making a massive... Yeah, uh, adaptation of a of a big budget sci fi project and have it like either nobody see it or you and know. Now we're doing this thing where it's like, okay, Dune was supposed to come out the Christmas season of this year, <laughs> which even if it was a normal year for Dune, I would still be like, that's a weird time. To like, do yeah, Dune. yeah, like it's like, oh, last year the big sci fi film in December was The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> this year it's Denise Dune. Dune. Yeah, like it's a vastly different type of, and it also just like. I mean, we talked about this before. Like, I just constantly think of, like, like yeah, looking into the forward in terms of, like, October, November, December releases, it's obviously... Like, yeah. But it's also astounding that, like, it was, like, a week or two ago that, like, I thought to myself, you know, Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan was supposed to come out in April. <sighs> Gosh, yeah. Didn't come out. I was so excited I completely forgot for that, about that movie. The Green Knight from yeah. A24, that beautiful-looking film with David <laughs> from David Lowry just didn't come out because yeah. why would it and in like smaller like, movies like that we're not going to get projected release dates you know it's like i'm, I'm those still disappeared yeah. and now we're like yeah like we're i'm, I'm glad first cow is now available now <laughs> yeah. and like i can watch it whenever and i'm excited to watch it at some point yeah. when i get the chance but like it's still just insane yeah. that like an unhinged and then it was tenant yeah and then it was what the broken hearts gallery the baker <laughs> montgomery like yeah. rom-com that like Looked sweet, but was like, sure. this is not going to get people. Yeah, nothing about this film. Like at least with Tenet, and again, it is debatable. But at least Tenet does have this vibe of like it does need to be seen in theaters, especially yeah. with how it's mixed. I think. I mean, it but just like, sounds to me like Nolan really pushed to release it rather than delaying. Absolutely, it. And it's like, yeah. Ah, probably should have held off on that, man. <laughs> and even now, it's like I. Th- because I think it's made a fair bit amount. Like it's still making money. I think yeah. internationally, because like. Well, it's not making much, I think, in China because I think China is like has its own blockbusters that are coming out and are, are killing it. And like, well, because yeah, other countries aren't <laughs> having the same problems. No, that yeah, we absolutely are. not. But like, it's just like it's just weird thinking how stacked next year, especially with the fact yeah, that like that's one that's we, the silver lining is yeah, next year should be pretty low because Dune is now going to be an October film next year. Yeah. It's pushing back the Batman, which looks like David Fincher esque. You know, it's not obviously going to be a spooky yeah. film because it's a Batman film that is meant for anybody. Yeah. So it's going to be like you know, it's going to be dark and gritty, but it's not going to be too dark and gritty. 
But now Dune's going to have to go up against, what, Halloween Kills two weeks <laughs> in? Is yeah. that still coming out then? Like, it's I, like... Yeah, who knows? I think, I think it's just funny now that, like, all the films that were supposed to come out in April or May are now just, like, they got pushed to Thanksgiving, and now No Time to Die is just opening in April 2021. Mm-hmm. And Black Widow is just opening up in May 2021. Yeah. Like, it's just like, they should have, they could have just pushed it back a year already but like they could have done that they didn't want to bite the bullet and now we now we have a situation where the darkest probably the closest thing to a spooky warner brothers film we would have gotten next year (laughs) is now a march release oh and now we get uh dune space epic who has to fight off against whatever blumhouse film comes (laughs) out that month or like just halloween kills in general which speaking of halloween kills and horror and spooky time. And spooky time. It is spooky time in 2020. Let's go back to present day and talk mm-hmm. about what we're talking about today, which is our Halloween trilogy. Because I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, where we take a trio of films that are tied, whether by number, by thematic elements, or similar cast and crew, and we talk about each film by film, and we talk about the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today, we're going to have a very fun time talking about the first film in this new trilogy, which, do we want to talk about the trilogy first? Uh, sure, yeah. It's So it's uh, Italian filmmaker Dario Argento's Three Mothers trilogy, which mm-hmm. is kind of, at least in part, uh, an iconic kind of cult classic trilogy of yeah. Italian horror. Mm-hmm. Um it's the type of film now, like if we watch a film in the 80s or the 90s, just basically any film that has like a interesting color scheme, like a dreamlike <laughs> color scheme, yeah. chances are it is inspired by today's film. Yeah. And today's film is the first in the Three Mothers trilogy, which is 1977's Suspiria, a cult horror classic, like mm-hmm. you said, and... Before I guess we get into, there's just so much that talks about in terms of context with this. Like, yeah, it's just like because Dar- Argento has such a yeah story before yeah. even doing Suspiria, which is you know his uh, at least widely yeah. his most iconic film. Yeah, because this was this is Suspiria is like almost a gateway film to get into not only Argento's work but just the Italian giallo craze in yeah. the 70s and like well and before even yeah. before the 70s yeah even. absolutely which when we talk about giallo it is a subgenre that is from Italy that is literally just the Italian word yellow yeah but it's basically talking about these pulpy kind of dirty sexual graphic kind of investigative novels mm-hmm. that are usually about like a foreigner comes to Italy Basically, gets wrapped up into a mystery of some sort, and it involves you know death, blood, bunch of twists and turns, yeah. crazy, crazy little things that we will get into more as we talk about giallos. And the reason why we bring that up is because Dario Argento is considered like one of the fathers of the mm-hmm. subgenre. Like he is so fascinating the fact that like Dario Argento is an Italian filmmaker who started out in the '60s as a critic. <laughs> and then in the mid to late 60s, started doing screenplays and doing story rights, mostly known for doing Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West. He wrote the story for oh, that wow. film. Yeah. And then, like, in the late 60s, it was he just either was told by friends or basically just had the idea of making his own films. And he inspired them by the Giallo um, subgenre. And then in 1970, I believe. Let me see. Ah, yeah, it's 70. 
Um, he made the bird in the crystal plumage, or bird with the crystal plumage, which yeah. is his directorial debut, and it was beyond a hit in Italy. <laughs> it was like a, it was like, honestly, it seems like when people talk about it, like Mark Commode from BBC, mm-hmm. like he talked about that, and he's like, he's like, he's like, it's one of the strongest films in the thriller genre. It's like a huge, strong directorial debut, and like. At the time, basically, the like the filmmakers and like the production companies were like, "Keep making movies. Like this movie works. Like keep making <laughs> yeah. them." And so, like the next year, he makes two more films that finish off what will end up becoming the Animal Trilogy, which like all three of these films are just like have an animal name, which is <laughs> the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and then in 1971 he does Cat O Nine Tails and Four Flies on Gray Velvet, mm-hmm. and um. This trilogy is a hit across the board, almost to the point where I found old trailers where Paramount Pictures was pushing, like, international <laughs> releases for Fl- Four Flies on Grey okay. Velvet. Like, these were films where it's like, you know, the slasher genre had technically been invented at this point with Psycho and, like, um, I cannot remember. There was another one where it's like a POV kind of, uh, it's uh, it's around the same era as, as Psycho, but, like, they were the two iconic 60s films for doing, like, basically inventing to some extent like the slasher film oh, okay. and then in the 70s it's like oh the slasher film is is, is basically still around peeping tom, peeping tom. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and it's like oh it's always been around it's just you know it's in other countries in italy it's like the giallo subgenre becomes a massive subgenre because of argento to the point where like after he finishes the animal trilogy he takes a break <laughs> and does a Italian period piece that is entirely Italian to the point where, like, I was trying to find, like, just any kind of information on it. It's called The Four Days in Milan. Oh, really? And um, there's very little in English. Because, like, that's the crazy thing, too, about Argento is, like, after Crystal Plumage, like, he was basically making his films for a international audience. Basically, it worked for Italy, it worked for America, it worked for pretty much other... <laughs> Uh, avenues because of a certain trend that were in Italian films at the time, which we'll talk about when we get into Suspiria. But before we do that, I, it's there's a lot to talk about because right before Suspiria in 1975, he does Deep Red, right. which is considered, in my opinion, it's probably his best film in terms of like story and in terms of engagement, in terms of like what it's, especially what it does do in Giallo, like in Giallo subgenre stuff, you have the main killer is always wearing leather gloves, so you can never tell who is killing who. <laughs> you have, uh, like, basically in the beginning of the film, it has a secret clue as to who the killer is, but you, you, they don't find out until the very end when they rethink <laughs> about, like, what they heard in the beginning. Right. Which is a lot. Basically, all of his main films have, like, this. I saw this thing in the corner of my eye. What does it mean? And then like the last oh, yeah. like finale, it's like, it means this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with that, like deep red has all these things that make Giallo's great, but it has this dreamlike horrifying, just like very engaging look and feel and starts basically his relationship with Italian prog rock group Goblin, <laughs> who makes the score for deep red. And then will later make the iconic, witch theme for Suspiria, the right. original theme. And then he meets his longtime partner, uh, Daria Nicolodi, who is the lead love interest in Deep Red. And as far as I'm aware, since that, like since 1974, 1975, when they got together, they're still together. Mm-hmm. 
Like, they never got married, like some sources say, but, like, they are still technically together. <laughs> and they worked together for the majority of the 80s, I think a little bit in the 90s, and then I think she might have retired per se, okay. or kind of went to the shadows. But, like, Deep Red's important in his filmography because it starts his relationship with Goblin, it starts his relationship with Daria, right. and Daria helps him write the screenplay for um, Suspiria, Suspiria, but also introduces the inspiration for Suspiria, which is oh, yeah. the uh, Suspiria... Suspiria de Profundis? Yes, yeah, which is by a... Thomas de Quincey. Which are a bunch of short essays that is a sequel to Confessions of an Opium Eater, where it's basically like, it's a, it's a whole thing about this guy going into the lore about these three witches that basically like rule the world in separate areas amongst the world and like basically create this huge fund and huge following that are like tied together and like yeah and it's it's almost kind of to make a more accessible analogy it's almost kind of like uh like the the guild of sorcerers and doctor strange they have these outposts throughout Mm -hmm. the world and they kind of operate behind the scenes of course unlike that they're not like actively trying to save the world or anything they're just they're they're a secret evil society they're just manipulating the world yeah Yeah. and in the uh and in in the original short the suspiria de profundis it is basically i think kind of elaborated that like this whole lore around the three mothers and the idea that these women exist and this whole coven exists is entirely in the mind of like an opium addict who's having like a hellish visions and nightmares about this. (laughs) And then Daria Nicolodi who read these introduced this to Dario and they basically are like, what if we like made this into a real thing? Right. And that's what leads us into Suspiria because it's Mm -hmm. the first film in the three mothers trilogy. And that's just all context. <laughs> That's all the lead up to this film. Right. And I mean, what's great about Suspiria is with all that, which thank you for listening to all that. I just need to get <laughs> all that off my chest because it was fascinating to look up all of that. But like with all that context, you don't need that context to enjoy this film. Right. In fact, it's for a lot of people, this film is the jumping off point to looking more into Argento's work as well as looking at what exactly is this tied to yeah because like this is again every i I would believe the first two of the three in this trilogy which is 77th suspiria and 80s inferno work by themselves right which i believe the last film mother of tears i think it's the most based as a like yeah third film and an entry and and then you know well it's called mother of tears like it's like it's it's basically saying this is the this is the mother we're talking about in this film. yeah well that's that's kind of something else to address is that each film kind of focuses on one of these three witches these three mothers Mm -hmm. um yeah so suspiria being mostly about uh, mother Suspiriorum. Yeah, the mother of size. Yeah. Um, but, and again, what's so astounding is like, when you have that context, it's like, oh, that's cool. But again, you can watch this film and just entirely without that context, you can enjoy what it's trying to do because in reality, Dario and Daria use that idea of like the three mothers and like this whole idea of like a global kind of coven of like an ancient evil per se. <laughs> And uses it as a jumping off point to make one of the most beautiful, dreamlike, crazy fever dreams of a horror film, especially yeah. of that era. 
Because that's one of the craziest things about Suspiria, especially in Argento's work. It's the most, it's honestly, it seems like the most striking film he's ever made. Yeah, well, one like, of the most striking films ever made at that point, probably. Yeah. yeah, the cinematographer, the lighting, just like has a field day with everything. Yeah, everything is like, bright blues yeah. and reds and yellows mm-hmm. and pinks. Where like, like Deep Red has this vibe of like, almost like it's a lucid dream you can't wake up from. Like there's there's like everything is normal, but there's a little bit of weirdness here and there that kind of almost tips you off as if you're sleepwalking or not. Yeah, you're like, wait, this is yeah. not right. Suspiria from the get go is just like, no, this is a this is a dream. No, yeah. It's, this is it's a nightmare. This is, from yeah, the start. It's not trying to it's not trying to be like this is this is Germany. <laughs> or like this is real. Like Dario does believe in witches. He does believe yeah. in like the suspenseful, like that evil yeah, is out there. Yeah, like. he believes in that stuff, but like he plays it off in a way in this film where it's like, again, you don't need to believe in witches or anything, or believe in the occult or believe in anything evil to really get the horrible vibe that this film gives off. Yeah, well, the whole film it's, is essentially it's the creation of a feeling. I yeah, mean, the the story, not not just the you know, all the lore with the three mothers, but like mm-hmm. the story in general is really not that critical to Absolutely grab onto not. in this it's... film. It's all about just kind of immersing yourself mm-hmm. and getting stuck in this yeah. nightmarish, yeah, horrifying visual the, feast. The one sentence plot synopsis on IMDb is literally all you need in yeah. terms of a story to like get involved and get interested. Like, it's just so straightforward in terms of, like, an American ballet dancer goes to a German dance academy and weird, spooky stuff starts happening. Yeah. That's the premise. Like, and it's where that it's where that phrase, weird, spooky stuff happens, that the film really digs in deep. Right. Where it does, like, what do you think is weird? And you're like, oh, probably this. And it's like, well, nope, this is weirder than I thought. This is This is a lot more in-depth and a little bit more horrifying than i could have imagined but okay (laughs) yeah it's also one of those movies where in in some ways you're kind of way ahead of the the protagonist because you kind of just but just by the presentation of it you immediately know this is something's off something's wrong this is Mm -hmm. weird and creepy and like a lot of it's not you know it's not like diegetic sound and music that she's hearing like we're just hearing goblin go crazy on the synth Mm mm-hmm um, well, that's what's so and crazy. You're just kind of immediately, like, oh, she's in for something. Rough. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just like the fact that, like, once the airport doors open, Goblin uh, is just like basically trying to suck her into Germany, yeah. like this weird hellish version of it. It's like, yeah, this is going to be something different. And that's what's so also interesting about Suspiria in terms of Argento's filmography, because in terms of the giallo subgenre, there are inklings of giallo in Suspiria, but oh, it's very much. faint. Yeah. Like, again, in Giallo, usually the inciting incident is usually the main character witnesses a murder that they're not involved in. Or, like, it's something where it's, like, yeah. maybe, like, in Deep Red, it's, like, a, a musician walks down the street, hears, hears a scream, turns to where the scream is, and then he just sees a woman get brutally murdered. Yeah. And now he's just, like, interested and now is a part of this plot. Right. And then, like, in Suspiria... The first horrible, gruesome death that you see on screen, our main character really has no idea that that happened. Like it's uh, like, yeah, she's she's told that he, she went missed that she died. Yeah, she sees her. Yeah. Well, she does see kind of the inciting incident because right when yes. she rolls up mm-hmm. to the uh, to the dance school, or yes, the, yeah, dance yeah, ballet school, 
um, she sees this person fleeing kind of yeah. in a huff and yeah. she's screaming and runs out into the she, woods. She sees uh, Pat, who is the, the dancer who just got kicked out of the academy that runs into our main character, Susie Banyan. Um, Jessica and, Harper. Yeah, plays. Jessica Harper, who plays her. Um, and Susie, in classic Jello fashion, does see Pat like mouth something but doesn't understand until yeah. the very end of the film. Um, and, but again, like basically once Pat leaves the dance Academy and Susie just kind of standing there, they don't really have much time besides like, I knew where she was at 11 o'clock. Like she basically just tells the detectives, Oh, I did see her. Mm -hmm. But like she, she wasn't the one who sees this horrible, gruesome death happen. Right. This murder happen. It's what's so interesting about Suspiria is like you have the usual Jalo protagonist almost just like broken up into two people, which mm. are Susie and then her new friend of the dance Academy, Sarah. Right. And like, Sarah's the one who's the most like intrigued by everything of the dance Academy, which you find out is because she had a tie to Pat. Like Pat was considered a friend to her. And then Pat's death basically makes her just super suspicious about the dance Academy and what is happening and whatnot. And which leads to almost very classic, like, very much what David Lynch does where it's like once you peel back this very nice and quaint or almost like beautiful looking thing, there's like just this disgusting kind of rot under it. Yeah. And that's a big part of this film where it's like this film looks beyond gorgeous. It looks not only does it look beyond gorgeous, it doesn't look real. Yeah. It just look the design choices are very, so ridiculous. Very ethereal. Um, And it's like stuff where it's like I didn't even notice – and we, we, I mean, I think we talked about this at one mm. point after we watched the film, but like, Suspiria was initially written for children. <laughs> like, Dario wanted to do it a dance academy about kids, which I do think does play into like the coming of age vibe okay. that's definitely yeah. in this. Yeah. And like, a studio told him, like, you can't gruesomely kill kids. <laughs> like, Dar- Daria, I think Daria was like, if you do that, this film's never going to get made. Right. So he's like, oh, okay, I'll just take, I'll make him like 20, like 19, 20, 21 years old. The thing, though, is is he does that, but he doesn't change the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the weird dialogue is because these are 20-year-old women saying lines that were supposed to be for 12-year-olds. Yeah. And also, the way that the Dance Academy is designed, since Dario knew he wanted to do a childlike thing but had to do it with 20-year-olds, they made every single door in this film forehead level <laughs> to the dancers. So these are like adult women. And they have door handles that go to their foreheads. <laughs> and it's, like, super weird. And it's, like, again, it adds a... Like, again, it's just a doorknob, but it feels so weird that, like, very Alice in Wonderlandy, very right. fairy tale like Because that's what this film... This film feels like a hellish fairy tale. Yeah, it's very much a fairy tale yeah. gone wrong. Yeah, like a grim fairy tale where it's, like, you know... Mm-hmm. I can understand why Dario probably didn't understand initially, like having like the gruesome kid because like i could see his head being like making a more kind of gruesome version of like a hansel and gretel story or yeah. like a big bad wolf or something like that without realizing like <laughs> killing kids on screen isn't exactly you know <laughs> it's not okay it's not yeah. kosher i guess yeah. in, the best, in a certain way and so it's very it's just so weird and it was one of those things where it's like it's one of the most interesting parts but also the most nervous parts about showing this film to people because this was your first time seeing it. Right. And I didn't know how much you knew about how Italian filmmakers, especially Argento, makes films. 
where it's like one of the weird things about giallos and just Italian films in that era in general is they don't do location audio, <laughs> which means like which I, what I mean right. is like when you watch a scene in a film, chances are they have audio on like at the studio or like they have it on location yeah, the where like ADR yeah and the sound like of the Foley artist yeah like you art. like like it's basically in most and. You can say in most scenes, you can probably tell if a scene is done in that actual field or if it's done right. outside or whatnot. In Italy and with Argento, the the standard was basically to not do location audio. Yeah. And what that led to is basically the films would be ADR'd. And not only would they be ADR'd, they would be ADR'd specifically for their location of releases. So there would be an Italian ADR, there would be mm-hmm. an English ADR, there'd be a German, there'd be a Spanish, which would lead to a cast that is a mix mash of different languages <laughs> because Argento didn't care because like they're not going to actually get audio. Right. So you get a, so like Jessica Harper I think talks about how jarring it is that like most of the actors and actresses were German and Italian and she's like one of the only English speaking mm-hmm. so like and they're all speaking their native language <laughs> and then they just dub over it <laughs> yeah it, it's interesting it's, it's, it's yeah. hilarious because like yeah some of the characters are clearly their lips are moving and you can see English words yeah and then some of them just aren't and you're yeah there's just no addressing of it or yeah. you know it's just all you're supposed to just overlook it I guess mm-hmm. I mean, a good example of that, too, is, like, later on in the film, you meet a, who is a prominent German actor, Udo Kier, who yeah. plays uh, Frank Martell, who's a, who's a quote-unquote friend of Sarah's to an extent. And uh, Udo Kier is uh, very German, and they just dubbed him with an English voice actor. <laughs> and it's, like, <laughs> and it's funny, because, like, if you don't know that, of course, it's it's not going to bother you as much, but it's very funny, like, knowing personally how Udo Kier sounds, and then you watch this film, and it's like, well, let me tell you, Susie. And it's like, no, that's not how Udo, Udo right. Kier never sounded like that. I've never seen young Udo Kier, but I know for a fact it's not that accent. <laughs> and that's what's so astounding about this film. Like, That's why I think early on in the film I told you that because I didn't want you to go crazy mm-hmm. thinking like, what is ADR and what isn't? Yeah. Like, I think there's like... And it's it, all ADR. Yeah, and again, it's, it's really weird too because there is some ADR that perfectly fits... Where it's like um, there is a blind piano player with a dog, yeah. and pretty much every time he talks, the the audio sync is almost perfect. Yeah, I, I don't really know. It sounds like it's on location, even though I know for a fact it isn't. But then you get to like Susie, Olga, Sarah. You get like to the main female actors and actresses, yeah. and like, and you hear their lines, and it's obviously ADR. <laughs> like it's obviously not location audio because it's so clear as day and. Again, that's what's so interesting, too, about Argento in this film. It's like it's another idea of, like, there's just a lot of things in this film that, like, Argento's like, that makes it easier. Like, that's just how it is. It's, like, it's fine to do it this way. And, like, there's there's a scene at the – there's a, there was supposed to be a scene that was filmed for the climax. And um, Argento was like, if we film the scene and put it in the film, it's going to take away from the overall finale. And that climate, like that scene that was supposed to be filmed, was actually supposed to, like, basically fill in a plot hole that is now not <laughs> filled in the film. But like for him, it's like the pacing, the feeling, the vibe of the scene is more important without it cutting to that scene, despite the fact that narratively it might have might have made it better. Right. Because there was, and again, it's just like that's how Argento is. Like, it's, oh yeah, he was, it's he's talked multiple times about how like he struggled with like. American audiences kind of not being willing to accept that 
storytelling logic of feel- yeah. feeling over of over information. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, I think I saw some interview where he, he kind of compares uh, American film sensibilities to like. Like they want it like a like a newspaper article. Like they want you yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. tell you who all the main figures are. Mm-hmm. You know what their names are, when they did this, what they think about this, blah blah blah. Whereas he was more concerned with like I'm gonna put you in the space with them and yeah. just kind of let you experience the I, horrifying or weird things that they're experiencing. Yeah, it's it's. I think one of the great uh, analogies I think I've heard about Argento is from Guillermo del Toro himself, mm. who loves his work and loves deep red and so like there was a video that he did from uh trailers from hell talking about deep red and basically said like you know for most people like argento may not make sense narratively but he makes sense lyrically to like kind of paraphrase and i think that makes perfect sense especially watching suspiria especially watching again deep red like his two best films per se he does like do a lot of things where it's like i it, for some reason, it vibes and it works with me, but it's not necessarily like <laughs> doesn't necessarily make logically make sense. Yeah, does. like yeah. I, I get it, even if yeah, it doesn't all add up. It it, it 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 I think it works a lot because the film is basically working on dream logic. Yeah, it's just yeah. like like one of the best, in my opinion, one of the best lighting sequences is there's a moment where you see a shot of a light bulb, and then uh, someone turns off the light. The light goes dark, and then usually in that case, in a grounded film, it would probably be moonlight is lighting the exterior windows going into the interior. Maybe a little bit of blue, maybe overall blue if you're trying to be yeah. super dramatic. They just light it green. Yep. It just goes from like a almost kind of like a very like standard kind of like a little yellow from a lamp here, and maybe a little bit of red in the back. They turn yeah. off the light. It's just bathed in green. Mm-hmm. Makes no logical sense and, yeah. but it but well, it makes it, it, it sends chills down my spine because it just it feels so off yeah and, and weird and the and whole like, movie is like that like a character yeah you know, Susie will open the door to go down the hallway and the hallway is just bathed in bright red light and oh. you're just like what is happening yeah. i don't understand she <laughs> walks in the middle of the night is her introduction into the interior of the dance academy when she first shows up it's like a blue velvet felt wall uh, yeah. going all the way up. Uh, one of her um, dancer kind of like like compatriots. She's not really a friend, but like an acquaintance named Olga. She's mm. she rooms at her place for like a night. And Olga's room is like almost Corella Deville's like <laughs> wet dream per se. Yeah, like the colors are just crazy. Yeah, and really she like looks detailed she, ornate wallpaper. Yeah, she looks like Corella Deville. Like it's <laughs> yeah. like it looks like it's a proto quill. Like it just looks like a live action Corella Deville a little bit in her like makeup and whatnot. Yeah, which is great because uh, the actress who played Olga. Um, she talked about, like, one day she was, like, doing makeup, I think maybe for that scene, and, like, a makeup artist did it. Dario came in and basically just said, like, now, would Olga wear that makeup? Like, he was, like, he is so dedicated mm-hmm. and wanted his actors to be, like, in the vibe and, like, basically live in these characters. And, all and like, the actress is, like, I don't think so. And he's, like, then you do the makeup how Olga would do it. <laughs> and then that's how it shows up in the movie. Like, yeah. that's, like, it's, Dario is... Dario at the point in his career, like, it hasn't even been a decade since he started, but when he did Suspiria, basically anyone wanted to work with him. <laughs> like, it was, especially in Italy. Yeah. It was like, you have to work with this guy. Like, you have to do this. Like, and Argento shows time and time again why people were like that. Uh-huh. Like, even into the 80s, he was still making 
fun, very graphic giallos, but they were still solid throughout. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not even to like looking at his filmography, it's not even to like the mid nineties <laughs> where it's like, oh maybe it's dropping it's off. And then in the two thousands it's spotty to say the least. Yeah. But like in his prime in the seventies and like the majority of the eighties, like he has a very good run and with Suspiria it was the jumping off point I think for a lot of American audiences, because mm-hmm. like um, a, a a like a, a biographer who was doing a uh, Dario Argento biography talked about how like there's no real numbers about how film how well this film did, but like he knows <laughs> for a fact that like it was doing gangbusters in New York, it did great in L.A., it was a double feature basically across the country, like yeah. it was because like again we talked about this Fox. Like, studios got this film, made an entire branch, a new branch just for this film, (laughs) uh, international releases, and basically made not only promos and, like, radio spots and, like, new trailers for the film. Like, they also made, like, strangely, one of the weirdest choices is, like, in the original Italian cut, when the title Suspiria shows up, it's just white text on a black background. It's Suspiria. But in the American international cut, um, they international releases basically created like this VFX like fleshy uh, font of, yeah, that like, like is weird, beating like, like a heart, yeah. and they made it for the American cut. Right. And it's so weird and creepy, <laughs> and kind of adds to like the, what is this? Yeah, and like it's so interesting. Just like again, that's all fun, pro- like post watching this film to look into like all of that but like again this film is just like if you're a fan of horror you can really just respect a lot of what it's doing like i think if i saw this as a kid it probably would have scared the crap out of me like it would it would have freaked oh, me yeah. out a lot especially that opening yeah. sequence the like first death oh oh the first death is disgusting yeah and it's like it almost like after that it's like i i it's. Are we going to have that again? Yeah, I'm not ready. Gonna have it I don't want to go back. Am I going to see that interior shot of like someone getting stabbed? Like, <sighs> what exactly are we going to see? And the film just takes its time. It's almost like as soon as you think like we're not going to get another gruesome moment, or like we're not going to get another moment that keeps me on edge, it happens again. Mm-hmm. And then like you go back to normal or normal per se <laughs> yeah. in the film, and it's like it just keeps doing it. Yeah. There's even like I mean. It's it's one of the deaths that happens later on in the film in the attic. There's like a uh, there's a room that's entirely filled with something that no attic should be filled with. Oh yeah, it, it just makes, doesn't make any it makes absolutely sense. no sense. But again, if you are in dreamlike logic, <laughs> that is horrifying. Yeah. It is horrifying to see that. Yeah, and it is, again, it is it is propelled by Goblin score. Like, what's so interesting about, like, going back and listening to, like, bits and pieces of Morricone's score for the Animal Trilogy, like, he goes with it, like, his idea of, like, a giallo score is, like, haunting and creepy by being just, like, very minimalistic Mm -hmm. and also tragic. Like, he almost paints, like, the killers as, like, tragic figures (laughs) in those trilogies, like, how sad everything is that's tied to it. And then, like, you get to Deep Red and Suspiria, and Goblet is just bashing you over the head with these crazy guitar riffs these crazy like synths synths. like again the Suspiria theme to me honestly is should be as iconic as the Halloween theme oh sure in fact I mean there is a story where like 
the year that Suspiria came out, uh, John Carpenter saw it. And when he saw it and he heard Goblin's theme, his mind was like, I cannot believe they made something so simple, so scary. Because the theme is not... Any, it's not complex. No, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really just straightforward. It's not like a full orchestra. Yeah, or it's like a very childlike opening, and then like it gets a little bit creepier, and then you get some mumbling chants under it, yeah. and then it just gets creepier and crazier, and then like, and then you, I mean, you see, John Carpenter went and did the same thing. Yeah, in Halloween, like, it's he pretty. It's, wrote, like, it's pretty clear. Note theme song yeah. for Halloween. It's pretty clear that Suspiria has some sort of influence. Goblin's work had some sort of influence on yeah. him to make the Halloween theme, because the Halloween theme works exactly the same. It's just very simple, but it's the it's the choices in that simplicity that make it even more profound and creepy yeah. and like. When it makes it stick in your head, and then when the movie keeps, you know, hitting you over the head with it, yeah. it's just kind of, it's yeah. this weird droning feeling where it's which, like, which you're definitely, stuck in it. Which definitely also feels like an Italian thing in terms of like, it's like Argento and Goblin are using those moments of that score to basically be like, pay attention. Yeah. This is the stuff you need to pay attention to because the original score of Suspiria plays throughout the majority of the film. Oh, yeah. And it basically feels like what, there are, yeah. like, maybe two pieces in the movie yeah. that just keep oh, repeating. There's a, there's a great moment in the film where there are um, maggots falling from the ceiling. Oh, yeah. And it's it's super well done because it's super slow. It's, like, slowly building up. Yeah, you, you just actually, see little things falling. Yeah. You don't even know what it is. And what's great, too, People is, are like... their hair. Yeah, and, and the, you know what was in their hair? It was rice. <laughs> they were they were dropping rices, okay, rice from the yeah. top, and then, like... And then basically when, when like, Susie is just in her room, she starts to, like, be like, what are these, why is there maggots in my hair? She's, like, freaking out because it's mm-hmm. weird. And then she looks up at the ceiling, and the maggots are just encompassing the entire yeah, ceiling. Yeah, yeah. And in most horror, like, it'd be this very orchestrated, maybe like just kind of, like, boom. heightened. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, and in Goblin, it's, like a car crash and like as soon as it happens it just like a synth just like goes to 11 immediately and the synth never stops and it's like so memorable and i wish that theme throw it up showed up again because it's Uh, such a like shocking thing yeah because like even seeing this is like my third maybe fourth time seeing the film like i completely forgot about that scene and then when that theme that theme crap like scared the crap out of me like it was like oh my god (laughs) i I forgot this was in this i like this and it's i mean i've been talking a lot i honestly we never really talked about where your thoughts are in the overall film were because it's like i didn't even know if you liked it or not when we (laughs) stopped watching it because it was like there's just so much to chew on like it's and it's so different from like that era because again this is 77 (laughs) A year after this, slashers would be reinvented again mm-hmm. and basically solidified as a horror genre with Halloween. Yeah. So like, bef- well, Halloween like, is very much not Suspiria. No, absolutely not. Like it's it shows how vastly different uh, Italy was in terms of filmmaking at their time, where we were at our time in terms yeah. of like, uh, especially with the fact that like Halloween is very low budget, and I don't think Suspiria is super high budget, but like what it does with its budget is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, Halloween is, like, this very plain, very grounded, very mm-hmm. creepy, kind of, like, anyone could be. Like, making suspir- yeah, like suburbia. Yeah, anybody's house, anybody's yeah, neighborhood. Suburbia feel creepier than it's ever felt. Yeah. And then, like, Suspiria is like, no, this is creepy because this isn't real and you can't escape. <laughs> right. You're, and it's yeah, like, you're oh, this. this is cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot to it. And I think a lot of it has to do with, again, Daria. 
and her influence because again like before Suspiria like the majority if not all of his films were male protagonists Mm -hmm. and women brutally dying and like it wasn't until Deep Red that I think had like a very solid uh, female love interest in Daria and Nicolodi and then with I think her inspiration in the screenwriting and the scripting from this point forward like the majority of his films will probably have a female protagonist Mm -hmm. and more like more profound, if not more pronounced, female, like, characters Presence, in his film. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, just the Where fact like, that he decided he wanted to do stuff based on the, the three mothers. Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely, whole, yeah. You know, uh, these, you know, this coven of female witches controlling the world. and, mm-hmm, and Which is just nuts. Enforcing, just like, or in, in, uh, imposing their horrors upon mm-hmm. you. Which, again, is like, again, two years prior to this deep red, it's like got... Two, three, maybe four female characters, and then in Suspiria, it is almost all, all female, female yeah. with like three or four people, maybe not. Like you have the detectives who show up for a scene. Yeah, you've got you got the German. Uh, yeah, you have the, the uh, physicist or whatever. Yes, yeah, the German physicist. You have like the it's not love male. interest. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got the hots for you. Yeah, the male dancer who's also there, who's basically oh, you got the butler po- dude, the yeah, server guy, the creepy butler dude who's great. You have the little creepy bowl cut kid who's just like, I guess. I mean, this thing too is like a lot of this film, in terms of the three mothers quote unquote lore, it's not diving at all into it. It's just a jumping off point to make something very interesting and very unique. Yeah. And very dreamlike. And then later on in the series, I think prominently more with the next film in the trilogy, Inferno, they talk more about, like, what yeah, exactly a, is this? going to be like, a little more of a expositional yeah. or informational. Yeah. Suspiria is more of, like, a cold open scenario where it's, like... <laughs> I think it's already enough that like you're a you're a stranger in a strange land. You're in yeah. your early twenties and you're a woman, and you're stuck in a dance academy where it seems like a lot of the dancers and like people involved are just dying left and right. Yeah. And no one seems to notice or don't care. <laughs> like it's in a, in a way, yeah. Suspiria is for the Three Mothers trilogy what the first fifteen minutes of Suspiria are for Suspiria. <laughs> Like it's just what is happening? Yeah. What is what this exactly? is horrifying? Yeah. It's just like. It's just, and like, what's also great, and it was funny to hear everyone's response, is uh, another Argento kind of classic trope, if not even just like, I think a Giallo trope in general, is like, once a story has resolved, it ends. Like, this movie just ends. <laughs> oh, yeah. The movie I loved just, that. It was fantastic where it's like, the movie ends, and it just like, the credits start <laughs> moving. It literally has happened in so many of his films. Yeah. Like, I watched an ending, I watched the ending for Floor Flies on Grey Velvet today, and, like, it's this very melodic, tragic moment in the film, and then, like, a gruesome thing happens, and then, like, credits just start coming yeah. up. Like, it's just like, okay, they're dead, let's get to the credits. <laughs> it it's reminded like, me of, have you seen that, it's like a, I don't know, a tiny little clip on YouTube, it's the end of some, I don't know, cheap 70s or 80s movie where a dude pulls a gun from yeah, his, yeah, out yeah, from yeah, under yeah, his yeah. sock and yeah. shoots a dude and the dude explodes and the credits yeah. just roll well it cuts to like it, it like he, me of that. he it freeze frames on like him exploding <laughs> then it says like dave turned himself into the police yeah, and realized that revenge is not an answer or something like that and it's like what it's like heroic music yeah. and then the credits roll but once again it's argento is just like movie's over yeah, cut it's the credits like, what done. else were you gonna you know, trying yeah, it's, to tell it's like, us. Which, again, is a good, is, 
fitting ending. You really could do more. Like you again, could. What's kind of interesting about uh, the fact that this is the only film in the trilogy that has been remade by uh, um, Luca yeah. Guadagnino, who is the uh, fantastic director behind Call Me By Your Name. Um, he did the next film he did after that was a remake of Suspiria mm-hmm. in 2018. Yeah, and it's like he dives deeper and turns it into a crazy epic that is far more inter- like it's far it's interesting and provoking and kind of graphic in its own way. But what's great about it is Luca even makes it clear that like I call this more of a reinterpretation because like you can't do Dario's Suspiria right. again, yeah. which is the which is the truth. Like this film is very cut and dry a lot of this is like almost like dario is saying i know you're not stupid i feel like you can grasp but what this is or who this person is or what yeah. this person has tied to this it's very which is again different yeah. from american films where it's like in, in most of american filmmaking it seems like our big thing is how do you tell that to me without making it seem like i'm dumb mm-hmm. well as with dario it's almost like oh it seems pretty cut and dry it's this but yeah, it's like but he keeps the story simple and yeah. then he doesn't overcomplicate like, it and he doesn't beat you over the head with yeah. it and it's like but i i get i get that but why is there a creepy blonde boy <laughs> with a bold cut in the dance academy and you just go like dario's like i don't know yeah. i think you could figure it out and it's like <laughs> it's almost yeah, get, like get yeah. to the end and maybe it won't matter it's like yeah it's like it's almost like he was told like he's like this is not how filmmaking's done it's like well that's how i do it yeah it's like this is how italy does it all right yeah. <laughs> we're doing this and it's like it works i mean he's still after suspiria after inferno i mean like he makes many more films that do exactly what this movie does in terms of like <laughs> Ending abruptly, being graphic, yeah. being pretty cut and dry with what it's trying to do. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, I don't know. Like, there's just so much to Suspiria that is hilariously, like, there's a lot to digest. There's a lot to decipher in the in the themes, in the, like, the visuals. Like, it's, it's, it's really fun to see this idea of, like, again, the stranger in the strange land feels the most prominent in this scenario. And almost like a coming-of-age story, too, where it's like... When you meet Susie in the beginning of the film, she's very, uh, she's she seems very shy and almost kind of scared because she's she's from New York, but now she's in Germany, and no one's like being like everyone's being very weird around her, <laughs> and no one's like taking care of her. No one's like trying to make sure that she's okay. And at one point where it almost seems like she has like a health scare per se, they almost like start forcing her to like take medicine and to eat this stuff and like. Mm-hmm. He, she almost feels like she's alone, and then she gets a friend, and they feel like they're alone together. And then by the end of the film, it's like Susie basically has to overcome her fear and overcome the fear of the unknown, basically, to just, discover what this whole thing is about. Finally yeah. pull back the facade to the see what's truly... Facade. Yeah, to pull back the red rooms and the blue velvet and see what's truly ticking behind everything. Yeah, Ultimately leading to like a phenomenal moment or like i mean this doesn't really say much but at the very end she smiles yeah yeah like but like yeah just like really yeah she's just she's just finally like she doesn't feel crazy anymore she feels like she's vindicated and almost like it just it's such a small moment that comes out of nowhere but it feels so great for her like you're almost like yeah, Susie, you feel satisfied that that just happened and like (laughs) you took care of things and like it's, it's, it is interesting because, yeah, she is clearly feeling the least crazy she's felt the whole movie. You know, yeah. She feels not crazy. 
but the image you're seeing almost makes her look the Crazy. craziest yeah. she has the whole movie. Because, you know, without... You know, yeah, for those yeah, of yeah. you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to give away what exactly happens, but the fire, the burning behind her, and she's yeah. just standing there in the storm, and yeah. shit's on fire. There are flames, there's laughing. profuse rain. Yeah, and she and just, she's, like, breathes this sigh of relief. She's and laughing in the rain. And, roll credits and it's, just, it's just like what yeah. i love that i love that like if you have no context you think this woman is crazy oh, yeah but with all the context you're like this woman's just glad she can probably go back to plain old new york <laughs> like she's yeah. just happy that like this is she can get the hell out of here yeah and i love that and i also love the fact that like this film I, it's one of those things where like i never think about it but like in terms of witches and horror like this film talks about like like it's not like it's this and the witch where I think of like it actually makes the idea of like witch is scary mm-hmm. like where it's like oh the witch like the movie yeah oh, okay yeah no like yeah yeah the witch the or the witch, witch yeah. yeah where it's like you know before this when I think of the witch I think immediately I think of like uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head but she's green she's very oh, big she's yeah, from Looney Tunes the Wicked Witch of the West there's also Wicked Witch of the West <laughs> no I was actually thinking about Looney Tunes no, but yeah, yeah, w- yeah Wicked Witch of the West makes more sense or like you know you see a Nightmare Before Christmas you get some witches and they're just like right, and they're like right. on broomsticks the cackly wart nose yeah. yeah yeah and like and in this and like in Suspiria when it has the discussion of what a witch is or like what the horror kind of like who the yeah. murderer is like there's some great shots where it's just like I never thought of how creepy this could be like there's a POV shot where it's like they tied a rope between two buildings and then they just pushed a camera off of it. You know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah. Where like it's coming. It's like a POV shot, almost as if someone is flying, uh-huh. and it's kind of horrifying. Right? How it's like the the wind in the background and like the and it's like if someone was if like if there is somebody there <laughs> and that is that fast, that is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's it's one of those things where it's like the idea of witches I think is the same as like the idea of like a vampire like werewolves are just like monsters in general where it's yeah. like they can be done so well in the right hands mm-hmm. and I think Daria and Dario when it comes to the discussion of like the three mothers and the idea of like the occult and whatnot it's handled in a way that I think adds to the dream like hellish nightmare more yeah where it's like you know if this if like if if the whole three mothers idea wasn't attached to this at all it would kind of be like if it was like modern day it'd be like almost like a psychological thriller yeah where it's like is Susie just is, is this yeah. is this an allegory yeah. for something she's dealing with in like her personal life when in yeah. reality no it's just like there's much more plain ideas and like definitions to what she's dealing yeah. with it's and just it's like unimaginable horror besets her yeah it's just like <laughs> Like, oh, you open up the wrong door and you find a horrible nightmare. Right. You know, classic case of like, well, if I was in a dream and that happened, I don't know what I would do, but like be scared out of my mind. And that basically is Suspiria. Like, (laughs) there's there's not much else to say besides like, again, like this, it's just such a good film. Yeah. And especially now, like you can get this film. The version I got, I think came out a year or two ago on Blu-ray. It was a 4k restoration like this is a film that i think it's probably good if you haven't seen it yet until now because the best version of that film is out where like beforehand probably most people who saw it originally like in the 80s or the 90s saw like a vhs cover like a vhs version so it's like super grainy and like four (laughs) by three kind of like very small screen 
And then yeah. you get like a DVD cut that's a little bit better. And then you get to like the Blu-ray where it's like the colors are more prominent than they've ever been at home. And like, it's just like the perfect, it's a perfect time to really, if you're looking for a different type of horror film that you haven't seen yet, like this is it. Like this mm-hmm. is, I think this is definitely like, well, okay, that's, uh, that's something that's like, <laughs> I think that at least like worst case scenario, that's what will come out of it. It's like, that's not going to be out of my head in yeah. a while. Yeah. It's and, very striking. And it's one of the reasons why we picked this trilogy because this trilogy is only going to get weirder, mm-hmm. possibly worse. We don't know yet. <laughs> We're we are going like at this uh, after this we point. Have an idea. <laughs> yeah, at this point, there's like there's no. Not only is there no point of no return. It's also the fact that like neither of us have seen the next two films, right? So like we're going in plain as day. We're going in new, <laughs> and we're gonna have to see like in terms of the three mothers' terminology and the lore per se. What exactly does that mean for Argento's films? Right. Yeah. Because again, with Suspiria, it's it adds it adds a nice little garnish, a nice little zhuzh to like the overall kind of piece, uh-huh. but it's not like a layer of the cake kind of the situation sure. yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. like the foundation is the lore yeah it's it's, it's like, a it's yeah. a nice little taste it's like it's like you, you might get some more later yeah it's like i mean the vast but most people probably wouldn't even have heard of the concept yeah that this is based on yeah this is a this is a trilogy starter that stands on its own <laughs> and it really it just depends on how much you enjoy this film in terms of like oh this is connected to something yeah. <laughs> and and Again, honestly, yeah. yeah, I mean, if this is the only one you've seen or the only one you're interested in, like, it's it's the whole package. Like, you don't yeah. need other movies, which is why I'm kind of interested to see what the other movies end yeah. up being, especially That's... in that they're supposed to be more kind of heavy on the lore and the plot and the yeah. how it all connects together. Because this this film, the, the finale kind of spills open the part that is you know, the main connector to these other movies, but it's largely just a, a singular experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what makes this film, honestly, the perfect start of an odd trilogy because it's like, I think most people could even, like, see these this film and even the next film separately on its own and then be told by a friend, like, oh, no, that's connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's like, oh, you saw Inferno, but you've never seen Suspiria? <laughs> oh, no, that Suspiria comes. It's like, what are you... What do you mean yeah, this is a trilogy? It, it feels like <laughs> almost these are going almost in a way yeah. going to be anthology. Yeah. It seems it seems like right now Suspiria is considered the best one yeah, and, widely. A, and a perfect starter to a weird trilogy. Inferno is the uh, big lore heavy one. <laughs> and then the third one Mother of Tears is going to be probably the bad one. It's also apparently <laughs> the most gruesome. Oh, is it really? Like, violent. So it got a lot of criticism for that. (laughs) You see, what's so crazy about that is I never really thought about taking the graphic nature of Argento's film and putting it in like a 2000s. Yeah, like like a hostile cabin fever, kind of like post Eli Roth kind of era. Like, what would he do given all the assets? Yeah, and so now that I'm thinking of that, Oh no! I don't know what that means, and I'm kind of horrified to see yeah. what that means. But uh, Inferno yeah. also seems—I mean, we just watched the trailer the other day after we watched Suspiria. We watched it gives the off so—it gives away so much. It gives much. away a lot. We had to turn it off, but it, <laughs> it, 
it does seem like it might be leaning a little bit more toward Argento's Giallo roots. Like it yes. feels a little more mystery, mm-hmm. kind of uncovering the pieces, yes. following the clues. Because I, I, I do believe it's like a tenant building where like someone lives there and like yeah. there's a there's like mystery and gore well, uh, yeah, and grisly I, I, murders I think going there around. Is, yeah, there's like a series of murders and somebody's trying to figure out who did yeah, it. Yeah, classic and, Giallo yeah. and Argento and like. But it was funny how like in Suspiria, I mean, the reason why it's called the Three Mothers trilogy. Again, we've talked about because of three mothers, but it's also because they're talked about later in the films. In yeah. Suspiria, no one ever says the three mothers. No, they only name one of the mother mothers. Suspiriorum. Yeah, the mother of size, which is who they talk about in Suspiria. And she, I think, in the lore, is the oldest of the witches. She's kind of like the ringleader. Yeah, I think the way that they talk about it, it is like she's been around for hundreds well i think all three of them have been around since like the 11th century or something oh, but she's older than all of them again like that is something that like suspiria does not dive into no. and that might yeah. be a good thing because <laughs> like that's need to that's i know sure. that's great and i also love the fact that like when we watch that inferno trailer like the second shot in the trailer is just three hardback books that just say the three mothers <laughs> and it's yeah. like we're gonna get like Oh boy. We're getting books. Yeah. We're getting like we're getting an actual text to this. <laughs> so yeah, that's the spirit. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? Uh, or? Well, I guess just to answer your question from earlier, yes, I very much liked oh, Suspiria. <laughs> oh, sorry, um, we we didn't really go back. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. we, we were there and then we weren't, and it was yeah. Fine. We, we went on I'm tangents. Not trying to you know, like, give my full review or anything, but yeah, it's a singular experience for sure. Yeah. Um, very. It's very unique. Oh yeah. It's very. I mean. There was a it, – your girlfriend said it reminded her of In Fabric, which came out last year. Yeah. We, which, we, she and I watched that together, mm-hmm. and that was – I mean, I knew at the time that it was supposed to be kind of Italian horror-inspired, mm-hmm. Argento-inspired, but, like, now looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just – it's – they did the same thing kind of. Oh, but absolutely, with yeah. a, a – a, uh, uh, animated dress instead yeah. of a, a witchcraft-ridden mm-hmm. uh, ballet studio. It's it's great, too, that, like, I mean, not that it's going to ruin films for me from this point, but, like, basically from this point forward, if it's, like, you see an 80s film that's technically, like, underground or art house, if you see, like, a weird color shot, the immediate thing you're going to think is, <laughs> oh, this, oh is, this is this is inspired by Suspiria. Yeah. Like, it's great, like, you could watch, like, I think Psycho 3, uh, which was directed by Anthony Perkins, it, he makes oh, it pretty yeah. clear. There are a lot of shots in that film where it's like there are a lot of purples and greens, <laughs> and it's like this man seems suspicious. Yeah. Like there's no way. Like, and, and I know it sounds funny, or like maybe it's an eye roll where it's like oh, this one man didn't just do that. But like yeah. the team behind Argento and the team behind the film kind of did pave the way for like at least art house horror. Yeah, in a way, especially in like the later stuff where it's just like. If you want to make your film a lot more striking, do what you think is like the the opposite of what a normal film would do yeah. almost where it's like, how do you light this like a normal thing? All right, put a green filter on it yeah. <laughs> or, or put a giant purple filter on it. And it's like that didn't, I don't know if that necessarily started with Argento, but it definitely was popularized yeah. by him. Honestly, and, a, a modern film that a lot of people have seen that, honestly looking back now reminds me a lot of suspiria um is hereditary yeah not so much visually i mean it, it's a much oh, yeah. more realistic uh visual style but like it's that same sense of like 
somebody is accidentally uncovering something way bigger than they realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it kind of mm-hmm. culminates, and the the last, however, you know, five ten minutes of the movie are like, you know, absolutely yeah. fucking insane. Yeah, Hereditary has almost that vibe that Suspiria does, where it's almost like the main character is a doll in a dollhouse and is just finding out that they are a doll in a doll. Like they're <laughs> yeah. becoming self aware that this is not normal and it's almost kind of like fabricated to an extent but yeah hereditary is a great example of that i I cite that because like if you haven't seen suspiria but it you know intrigues you based on what we've said if you liked hereditary i think you would get a kick out of suspiria it's vastly different vastly different yeah yeah stylistically but because again like for me it was like i got into horror initially through like zombies and then i fell in love with slashers and then i fell in love with like art house horror Mm mm-hmm and then, like, you know, Argento is always the one where it's like, it's like, hey, kid, you like spooky stuff? How about the Italian kind? And it's like, what, do, what is that? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like, the first time I saw Suspiria was in college. I was a senior. I found out that my local, like, the, the school library had, like, basically Criterion films in the basement mm-hmm. that you could rent with your, like, ID. <laughs> so I went downstairs and I'm like, do you guys have Suspiria? And they're like, yeah. And they just come back with like a DVD copy that is now very hard to find. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a two it's like a two disc collector's edition of the oh, film wow. and it's like what the hell and I just like went back home, I put it in and it just like exceeded any kind of expectations I could have <laughs> had for it where it's like this is not normal at all. Yeah. And like from that point forward it's like Argento's always in the back of my head where it's like if someone wants a new type of horror it's like I go, oh yeah, if you find Suspiria or mm-hmm. find like Deep Red, he's like definitely not like you know most other things yeah. you would see in the horror genre. This is the perfect October film to have all the lights off. If it's raining, even better. Oh, have yeah. this film on, yeah, thunderstorm, and just like let it take you away. <laughs> and hopefully, the next film will be that. Which is, yeah. uh, do you want to talk about the next film, or do you want me to? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's Inferno. We've talked about it quite yeah. a bit already, but oh, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, going to be the the next chapter in the Three Mothers, and should inform us a lot more about how the kind mm-hmm. of Three Mothers lore pertains to this particular story that mm-hmm. Dario Argento's telling. So that'll be yeah. uh, what the seventeenth or something. Yes. Yeah, so the day that we are filming this, which is today live at radio city hall <laughs> we are it's the 10th yeah and so and, next uh, week on the 17th yep. will be inferno yep we are going to do 1980s inferno and it's definitely going to be interesting because daria is in the film but she oh, okay. but she's uncredited on the story so i think it's mainly dario's kind of screenplay so it's going to be interesting how dario mainly his take on what the three yeah. mothers is going to be but yeah but yeah so our our the three mothers trilogy should take us through spooky season because after after we get to the third one which is mother of tears we've got a kind of special surprise for y'all mm-hmm. um another to a, tie a, up a, this a, argento yeah fest. a spooky snack at the very ta- tail end of october which yeah. we honestly after watching suspiria so excited to get to that spooky <laughs> snack if that means we have to watch mother of tears and not enjoy it i'm okay mm, with just yeah. going over that hump to this but uh <laughs> did you want to talk about uh what you just posted um, oh yeah. yeah. Um, did I not do that earlier? I don't know. Okay. Um, well, well, I, might as well I'm... do it again just to make sure you can do a <laughs> yeah. uh, summarized if, version. To, to those of you who have uh, filled out and submitted that uh, feedback survey that we posted, uh, thank you. Your feedback is super helpful to us because we're kind of still, you know, getting our 
getting our uh, footing mm-hmm. is the term um, and figuring out how best we can format this uh, this podcast to entertain you guys. Um, and if you have not uh, s- submitted an answer to that feedback, if you would, that would be super helpful. You can either should be one of the top posts on our page right now on Facebook. Um, just go to that feedback survey. It's a few questions. Should take you a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, just about formatting and scheduling and length yeah. and s- the types of stuff we talk about. Uh, your feedback helps us create a better experience for you. So Absolutely. We want to know your thoughts and we want to get a good sense of what is sticking and what isn't. Because like as much as I'm enjoying personally how the podcast has been going, I also know that like it's definitely not going to be the same thing in 10 episodes or so. Like sure. we, we are constantly trying to evolve this podcast into something that can become more efficient or maybe just more enjoyable in general. Yeah. So like, yeah, and if you reach other people, so I mean. like, yeah, so just check your social media with us. And if you see the feedback survey link, definitely take it and just be completely honest with us so we can mm-hmm. figure out how to make the show better. Absolutely. But until then we will see you on the 17th with 1980s Inferno. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Logan Sowash and I'm Andy Carr and we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>